Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, your guide to the ever-changing world of social media. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Talk Show, a social media examiner production. I'm Jeff C., and my co-host today is Grace Duffy. This is the show for marketers looking to stay on the leading edge of social media. We bring you the expert opinions about relevant social media news and how it impacts you. On this week's social media marketing talk show, we explore Facebook's new brand safety controls and transparency tools for advertisers, upcoming Facebook ad updates, and more with our special guest, Kim Garst. But first, you got, yes, it's so excited to have you here. So I'm excited to be here. First of all, if you guys are, if you're struggling to keep ahead of your competition, or maybe you're needing to master a certain social platform, or maybe you're even struggling to, you know, convince your boss to the, the return on investment of what you're doing, well, you can discover how to improve your social media marketing at Social Media Marketing World 2020, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. You'll rub shoulders with the biggest names like Kim Garst here and brands in social media. You'll soak up countless tips and new strategies and enjoy extensive networking opportunities in sunny San Diego, California. So don't miss the industry's largest conference. Get in early for big discounts. You can register at socialmediamarketing.world. That's socialmediamarketing.world. But I want to introduce my guest right now. I'm so excited to have Kim Garst here with us. She is a renowned marketing strategist. She's a keynote speaker and author of Will the Real You Please Stand Up, Show Up, Be Authentic, and Prosper in Social Media. Wow, what a title, Kim. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. So we are going to jump right into this because there is a ton of news. It's like the floodgates opened over at Facebook. So we're going to jump into this really quick. First of all, Facebook introduced new brand safety controls for advertisers. Grace, what is this all about? Because there's a lot in here. Well, I know brand safety doesn't sound like much. I mean, it, it, it's just it's kind of one of those vague terms. But basically, it comes down to advertisers will now be able to control where their placements are uh, seen across the platform um, in instant articles and across the audience network. It will also allow advertisers to control the context in which their ads are going to be seen. So this means account level controls in business manager and in the ads manager, improved delivery reports that will allow advertisers to search by ID account or publisher without having to download it. And again, it's going to be content level information, a report where your ads will be appearing. So the content around where it'll be appearing. And then they're also testing dynamic content sets and then publisher whitelists, which allows advertisers to whitelist certain publishers for ad placement. Like it's always okay to do this, but um, you know, we've had block lists, publisher lists, we've had inventory controls, we've had control over where ads can and cannot be placed for quite some time on Facebook. So Kim, can you tell us what in all this is exciting and new? Because I feel like we've we had this, or if we didn't, why didn't we? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, obviously, um, part of this is uh, fallout uh, around the whole political ads and then making the decision not to fact check political ads, ads specifically. And, and there again, the, the whole safety uh, piece is so important to Facebook right now in the context of they're in the spotlight, you know. Um, but I really do believe this is a great move because even though, and, and this is the problem as I see it, like, you know, whether or not you think they should fact check political ads or not, it's a slippery slope when you start uh, censoring content, you know, who gets to decide what's appropriate. And the way I look at it, who gets to decide what I get to see or what you get to see. So from the context of you know, making tools that are, you know, give us more as advertisers, give us, give us more control over actually who we want to see our content. That makes sense. So I'm actually excited about the shift and specifically what I view as that whitelist option versus the block list, because in the past, you know, with block lists, you could choose uh, where you didn't want to advertise, but that's like a needle in a haystack because you can't know everything. Mm -hmm. You can't know you know, all the people that you might not want to advertise to, in other words. But with a whitelist, it's basically letting you choose who you want, you know, where you want to run your ads, what sites, what videos, what apps, et cetera. And, and to me, that just makes a lot more sense. And the reporting features look amazing, too. I'm super excited about that. Yeah. So I think that was one of the things that, that really stood out to me is the they're having some more robust reports. So anything where you can get more reporting for us data nerds, and I think you almost have to be a data nerd to be a marketer nowadays, that's just, that's always a good thing. And I also wanted to point out that it's rolling out now and they're planning to roll it out the tool more broadly next year. So we, that's about as you know specific as we can be for when it's going to be rolling out, but it is coming. So very, very cool. On our next uh, piece of news, it's kind of this is kind of a strange one, Grace. So Facebook will implement limits on how many ads a page can run in this upcoming year in 2020. Tell us a little more about that. That's all they said was that like <laughs> they're going to implement these limits, but they're not going to tell us what these limits are until next year. Right. And then they also added that the these ad limits will impact a just a small percentage of advertisers. But again, they didn't share what um, they did reveal that they have this special category of ads. So these are ads with housing, employment, credit opportunities. These are ad placements that have been flagged in the past, I believe. And so now there's a special category. And then but even then, they're not going to let us know till February <laughs> what's going to happen with those. And then there's another update coming in March where if you haven't flagged or whatever your accounts at this with these special categories. But I mean, this all kind of leaves me a little confused. Kim, what do you think is behind this vague change? <laughs> well, it's supposed to be for the advertiser's benefit. That's what they say. You know, it's, it's for your good. Um, and I think I will agree with it. Uh, and the reason I would say I would agree with it, even though it's not going to affect the majority of us, in my opinion, but when you have more ads running at the same time, it can reduce the overall effectiveness of the learning phase. And you could potentially spend more money optimizing your ads. So, you know, if you're running, you know, 
hundreds of ads versus just really being, you know, having a, a specific set of ad sets, then the learning phase will be more optimized, in, in my opinion. And again, I don't think it's going to affect most of us at all. When I say that, they say that, by the way, they say it's it's going to affect a very small percentage of their advertisers. So I'm speculating that it will, you know, be for those that are like spending probably thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in the ad network work simply because of the way they've they've put it out into the world. They're very vocal about the fact that it's really not going to affect most of us. But I think for us, the thing that we need to be cognizant of is really what I said before is when you're running multiple ad sets, it does impact your learning curve, the learning curve of the ads. You know, ads these days are so much more smart and Facebook does help us a lot if we you know, it's like any like computers, like, you know, if you don't put the right things in there, you're not going to get the right output. It's exactly the same with Facebook ads. If you don't do the right things and put the right things in, then it's going to impact your results. And I, obviously, you know, that option to learn uh, and get smarter over time mm-hmm. can be impacted with a, a whole bunch of ads. So do you think that um, they may be doing this because they've said for a while they're running out of space for ads, you know, like they're. You know, and they say this is for the advertiser, it's, you know, to be better. But do you think that might have a little bit to do with it as well? Is that there maybe if you have some certain company that's putting out a lot of ads all the time, that squeezes out the other guy, too. And so, you know, I'm wondering. But but it's money at the end of the day. right? Right. So, you know, and that's what I mean, honestly, that's what they care about uh, is. I mean, yeah, they say other things, but, you know, they they're a business just like we are. And Mm -hmm. and, you know, they have to have that piece of it. I'm sure that's a big factor in how they make their decisions. But as it relates to this, does it matter, you know, whether it's, you know, a small business owner uh, spending money or if it's a bigger business owner, you know, big brand spending millions of dollars with them? Uh, I don't think they care where the money comes from, honestly. So, again, is it related to ad space? I don't know. Does it make sense in the context? You know, I I think what's going to ultimately happen as it relates to their ad space is they're going to make other opportunities for us to target things inside of their platform, Uh, whether it's events or we've talked a long time about groups. Is there, you know, will there ultimately be opportunity to target groups? And with groups being so much a fourth uh, part of their like messaging right now, that I'm not so sure we won't see something around that in the near future, like in the within the next year or so. So how com- how much more complicated is this going to be make running ads on Facebook? It's almost like, you know, you have an accountant now to run your books. You almost need like a specialist to run your Facebook ads because it's yeah. getting really, really complex. You almost need like a degree in Facebook ads. So one part of the question, you know, that's making it more complicated. Is this going to drive advertisers maybe to take their ad spend to other platforms if it's so complicated and all this stuff um, like YouTube or Twitter, do you think it's going to drive some people in the other direction? Well, you know, they're rolling out all of these tools, uber cool things that are supposed to make our ads more uh, optimized, you know, like this whole AI powered tool, the ad creation, which is a combination of the multiple text optimization and then that dynamic um, ads creation process. Those are uh, designed to optimize 
and give us better results. And they're AI driven, meaning, you know, it's supposed to be smarter, you know, uh, based on how the the customer journey uh, and how the customer interacts with specific types of content from uh, not just your headlines, but to your copy, to uh, imagery, all kinds of things. So, and then, and then this AI, the tool itself serves up that content to the end user based on what they see them engaging with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's basically taking that out of the equation and it's supposed to be smarter. It's supposed to help us as end users, you know, uh, end up with better uh, results. I think the drawback to it on the shorts from the standpoint of leveraging it in the short term, it's going to take longer, I think, for those data points to flesh out. So we have to, as an advertiser, we have to be willing to invest a little bit more money into getting better audiences, our content in front of the, the right people. Uh, and I think that'll be the the play that we as, as advertisers are going to have to, to roll forward with uh, and understand that, you know, it's going to be a process for us. But as it relates to like decide, you know, will people go other places? You know, I, I don't think so. I still feel like that Facebook is probably the most competitive price wise, even though their their ads have definitely gone up. You know, most, you know, if you're doing Facebook ads, for example, you might be also doing Google ads or you might be doing YouTube ads. And I also would say that it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. You know, where's your audience? Does it make sense to go somewhere else? But supposedly, you know, all these things that they're rolling out are supposed to give us as advertisers a better end result. Right. Emily in the comments says here that uh, advertisers still prefer Facebook ads because of its complexity, better data, better ways to optimize. And I have to agree with that, Emily. And it sounds like, Kim, you're of the same opinion as well. Yes. And and that's my whole point. Even with these new tools that they're coming out with, the smart tools, AI tools, whatever you want to call them, the data points is the key to all of it. You know, in the in the journey that our uh, our customer pro- or our prospects or whatever, how they engage with our content and making sure that we put the right content in front of the right eyeballs. And that's hard to do with with what we do now. I mean, we're doing it through split testing and other things. But with these new tools, supposedly it's going to do the heavy lifting for us mm-hmm. um, so that we'll start to develop, you know, better data points. We'll start to understand what our community or our prospects are engaging with the most. And it'll give us a better data to make better decisions. Yeah, that's a great point. I want to pull, uh, pull up something that Don said in the comment. He asked, because we're going all for all these tools and I can tell people are like, whoa, there's so much. And he goes, is there a list of these new tools I can look at? And uh, Don, we're going to have all this in the show notes that we publish on Saturday. Our awesome producer here, Grace Stuffy, puts those together and it launches on Saturday. So uh, that's where you can go and go to Social Media Examiner and get that there. You kind of alluded to it a little bit and it's super nerdy, but I really love, I want to talk about it a little bit. And Grace, you can break it down a little more for us. Is this this machine learning that Facebook is using and these AI powered tools that for ad creation that Kim just alluded to, can you kind of break some of those kind of exact tools down for us? Oh yeah. So there's, there's two tools or two sets of tools. Exactly. So the first one Kim mentioned was it's called multiple text optimization. And these mm-hmm. function a lot similar or very similar to uh, Google's responsive ads in which Advertisers have the ability to create, test, and optimize several alternatives for text, text for headlines, ad copy, and then your descriptions all at the same time. Facebook's ad system will then dynamically serve up combinations and it'll determine which one delivers the best results. 
Um, in a separate announcement, they also said that they will also be layering auto translation on these ads as well. And so if you are catering to an international audience, it will automatically translate those for you, which is rad. Uh, but then you also have the option to uh, review those translations because last thing you want is your ad on a translation fail site. So, <laughs> so um, you know, if you want to provide your own. And so these are for single media ads only. So we're talking like one image, one headline, one description, one call to action, right? And then the other tool, is the dynamic ads creation process. So this is more for like catalog type ads. And then you could leverage these options against uh, requirements. So like if you're looking for more catalog sales, traffic or conversion objectives, you can weigh all these. And so these are all things that tools Facebook is rolling out. They did say these are all very cool. And the report did note that there are trade-offs with these as there always is are with machine learning and AI driven tools. Kim, what are some of these trade-offs that advertisers should be weighing? Because I look at this, I'm like, cool, do it. Let's let's go. You know? yeah. Well, I, I think I, I touched on it just briefly, but I really would like to suggest that actually I think this is really smart because I think it's a win-win for both sides of the fence. Not only um, us as advertisers, but also the end user. The goal should be, and Facebook has really talked about how they're trying to build better user experiences, right? And with this structure, it'll allow our prospects to see content that they prefer over simply shoving what we think they will engage with. And so the tough part is that it's hard for us as advertisers, like I said before, to know what that is. So, you know, when we have more data points, obviously it'll give us better options on how we present our content or things we want to sell, et cetera. But I, I think the biggest trade-off again is the time factor because it mm -hmm. does take longer to get those data points. So we could potentially be spending more money short-term to get better outputs on the other end. And I, I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, things that I see that when, you know, you're turning over, but I, I don't see that as a loss actually, but I think it's going to be something we have to be cognizant of on the front side and knowing that we may have to spend 20, 25% more on the front side to, to get these ads optimized to the degree that they are. Facebook needs to learn the process to put our content, our solutions, right. whatever in front of the right people. So one of the things when I looked at this, I saw the auto translation feature. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. So we can sell their product in a different language, an international thing. But then I started, you know, pulling that string and unraveling stuff a little bit. Then I'm like, okay, if my site's not auto enabled, when they jump from to my shopping cart, my shopping cart needs to be in that language. Unless I can do everything on Facebook, which wouldn't surprise me if they're eventually wanting us to do, then it opens a whole nother can of worms. So once I started diving into that, I'm like, well, maybe that's a great feature. Unless you have the back end to handle that, it's not going to really matter to you other than if you're a big company and then you have all that stuff. This is just one step that'll be easier and quicker for you. So what are your thoughts or, on that? Or if you have the auto translate, you know, stuff, you know, built out on to your point, but a lot of marketers might not might not have that auto translate functionality. So you, you're right. You have to be aware of those things. You know, it sounds good on the front side, but if you follow it through the marketing experience, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, from a customer journey perspective, if somebody is super excited about your ad and they click and they go and, and they're like, 
what's happening here. <laughs> it's I, not my language, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I just, so I'll give you a quick example of how this happened to me the other day. I'm a little bit of a shoe person. I love my shoes. And evidently Facebook knows that I love shoes because I get served up ads all the time around shoes. So I clicked this uh, cute shoe ad and went to this website. And it turned out that this website is in Ukraine. And I'm like, but I could translate it. So I'm like, boom, this is perfect. I, I was able to see the, you know, I had to um, convert the amounts, but I was like, no big deal. But the part that stopped me cold was I couldn't figure out if they shipped to the U.S. Mm. Oh. And I ended up just leaving because I got stuck, you know. So you do have to follow the customer journey to see what could possibly stop them in their tracks. I mean, I would have probably ordered some super cute shoes. They just lost me, you know. And your husband rejoiced. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So is it getting to the point where Facebook is just wanting you to give them money and they do everything? Like it'd be like the the boost button for the entire thing of Facebook. That's what it kind of seems like a little bit, but is that something we really want? I think that Facebook is trying their hardest to make ads simpler for us and to give us better results because actually to your point earlier, Jeff, the people that are doing the best are people who hire people to do their ads for them. People who understand them, who understand how to make them work. The average end user is struggling with one. Let's just assume you can figure out how to set up an ad. Uh, That's one piece of it. Then you have your copy and um, and then you have uh, that audience thing, which is where the sweet sauce is. How do we do that? Like, what are our options here? And so I, I think that through the tools that they're putting in place, even to the degree that, you know, these smart tools are supposed to help the audience piece, right? They're supposed Mm -hmm. to put our content in front of people who actually want to see it and that kind of thing. I think they're trying to make it simpler, but, you know, just word choices alone, like what they're naming this stuff. I'm like, (laughs) it's engineers. You know, it's engineers putting it together. (laughs) You just know it. I mean, for the average person, they're not going to get this. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Multi-text optimization. Right. Someone just asked in the comments here, uh, can anyone use these ads? Are they only a certain spend level? And I will say that in all of my researching and digging, and and they always language this around, you don't have time, marketer. You don't have time, or you've got the small business you've got to run. Like, you know, we want to make it easier for you. So mm-hmm. to Kim's point, I think they are building these for someone like you or me or someone like running their own little, uh, you know, mom and pop down the street for them to be able to advertise. Because I think that's where they're looking to expand. I mean, your big brands are on Facebook. They've got the budget. They've got the team. They've got the agencies. They've got the Facebook tax code, as mm-hmm. Jeff put it yesterday. Right. <laughs> like they know. So this is this is I think this is to help people that are at that, you know, smaller to medium sized company range. And the reality is there's way more of them than there are those big brands. Uh, yes. The big brands maybe have deeper pocketbooks. But I would argue that if you could make it small, if you could make this easy for the small business owner to do consistently, there's more money in the pot for them because there's more of them. And it, you know, it's just a math problem at that point. So I do believe they are trying uh, to make it simpler, but goodness, like somebody needs to tell them that nobody really wants 
Nobody I gets her naming convention. Yeah, it is. It's like the tax code. It's like, that's what it's becoming. So, so more Facebook news is that, you know, and this is, is an, I always like it when I see monetization in the title. It says Facebook adds more monetization and management updates for video creators and publishers. So Grace, break this down for us because, you know, we always want to make money with our content. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, Facebook announced that it's expanding its brand collaboration manager. So this was a way for brands to work with influencers, basically put yourself out there and say, hey, we're open to working with influencers and influencers could, you know, message me. So that's that's a way. And then there's the Facebook stars, which was for video creators. It's a way to, uh, you know, give people stars. But the one thing we really want to focus on is the new data visualization tools in the creator studio called and it's called traffic source insights and this is coming in the coming this is uh due out in the coming weeks this was announced i think the end of october so are we in those coming weeks i don't know yet so you maybe if you've seen it let, let me know but publishers and creators will now be able to clearly see how their content is distributed across facebook and to be able to optimize across each source yeah so Kim, I know that since you do a lot of live video and a lot of uh, our, our viewers do a lot of and listeners do a lot of stuff in Creator Studio, they're funneling everything, it seems, to they want everybody to use that Creator Studio. That's kind of their page they're wanting. So, you know, do you think by pushing more publishers and creators to Creator Studio, it's going to affect advertisers? And the other question I have, and I think this is more speculative, but, you know, when they're they're funneling people to use this Creator Studio – do you think eventually they're going to shut off some of this third-party API access right. like they did? Like, you know, Twitter did this same thing. Like, they like took away some of the functionality that you could schedule tweets and do all that stuff with some of their third-party tools. And I get a little nervous when I see us, you know, they're funneling us into a certain place where we can manage everything, like Instagram comments, you know, this new Creator Studio stuff. All this stuff's happening in Creator Studio. I wonder someday if they're going to say, hey, just do it all here, and we're going to cut off stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, first, anytime we have better analytics at our fingertips, it's a win, in my opinion. And I would uh, take it one step further because numbers are not a strong suit for every entrepreneur. So when they have this visual representation, um, which I think is going to be fabulous for us to see how our, our content breaks down on Facebook, I think that's going to be a super duper win. And I think for those that are ultimately might be trying to uh, attract different audiences in different places, then I think it'll give us better data points from an ad standpoint. So I think that's uh, ultimately a win. Now, as it relates to the API, don't get me started on Twitter. They have just shot themselves in the foot on like so many freaking levels. Like I'm like, please, people. But anyway. You got Kim to say the F word. So that's something right there. Well, yes, but I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. So I, but I'm like, but I still, can you tell I feel pretty strongly about yes, it? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I just don't know who is in charge over there. It's just like crazy. But anyway, but I seen so many great tools simply just die on the vine because they no longer had access to uh, Twitter's API. And it really, I think, it also directly impacted Twitter uh, as well. Unfortunately, they just don't simply see it, I don't think. But 
I definitely think Facebook is tightening the reins on their API. Um, we have already seen a lot of shifts in the API, most of which I believe is really directly related to this uh, privacy issue that they mm-hmm. have been uh, fighting. You know, if you have an app, for example, the approval process is, uh, is a lot tighter and, uh, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, I, I would say that it's a possibility that we could potentially see them continuing to, you know, tighten up and shut down things. I hope not because, like I say, I think they really do. It's a mistake, I think, to shut off third-party mm-hmm. tools. Now, I would say that I have no problem with them tightening the reins on the approval process for third-party tools. Right. You know, I mean, that that's fine. But, it, yeah, I think they should have allowed third-party tools. Right. It just makes me a little nervous. It, it's well, and that's the thing. We just have to it's already happened with Twitter. I mean, almost no one has access to to Twitter's API these days. So it could be it could be an issue. Yeah. Well, on a good note, I've, I've done a lot of work with fund, uh, like uh, nonprofits. I didn't that, a negative Nelly, by the way. No, you're fine. <laughs> no. Because I think it's, I think it really is an issue, and it just makes me nervous when they start funneling stuff to one kind of dashboard, and it just makes me a little nervous. So, I thought your points were were spot on. This next thing is kind of a, I think, is a good thing because I've done work with nonprofits before in the past, and I, any, they need all the help they can get to raise money for some great causes. So, Facebook is adding three new tools. For fundraising. So Grace, you know, break us down on these these three tools for us. Yep. So Facebook is adding a donate sticker to its stories. You know, it's trying to push its stories feature and a donate sticker is is fantastic, right? So uh, I think when they added the donation feature, the fundraising feature a few years ago, it has been hugely successful. Um, I don't have the exact stats, so this is great. I think it supports what they're doing. Instagram is now allowing a more permanent way to fundraise with a donate button right in the profile of nonprofits. And then it's also extending gaming charity live streams to its level up gamers. I don't know how many level up gamers we have in our audience right now, but those of you that are interested in um, Facebook gaming and that part of it, they do. They are adding an opportunity to do uh, charitable activities there as well. So these are all really cool. Yeah. So what do you think about these tools? I know you've had some clients that are probably nonprofits. So I think, what are your thoughts, Kim? So I'm all about enabling opportunities for giving. Uh, You know, I think we get so busy that we forget to make time for that in some cases. And what I find fascinating though, like uh, you were just saying, Grace, the numbers, the, the numbers are pretty staggering. Since they started with this donation thing, whether it's with birthdays or whatever, the fundraising tools have enabled over $2 billion in donations. And that's an amazing number. The little things, the little opportunities that we have even like, um, you know, I raised uh, over $600 on my birthday for the Wounded Warrior Foundation, you know. So leveraging those opportunities, each of us leveraging those opportunities just outside of the tools that they are rolling out, I think is, is wicked smart. I love the fact that they're doing this. One of the biggest struggles that nonprofits have is raising money. And when you can make it easy like this for people to, to do, you know, especially in story-based content, I'm really excited about that because if people are consuming those stories and they're right there in the moment, that's huge. I'm not quite sure what the whole gaming aspect, what that result will be, but the ability for nonprofits to actually leverage fundraising um, in some strategic ways through stories, I think that's going to be a huge, huge benefit for them. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. 
Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that the gaming population is a huge population. Yes. It's a huge culture of their own. And if they can leverage that population, awesome. Yeah, I, <laughs> oh, I would agree. I just, I'm just curious. I'll be fascinated to see what the case studies come out that, yeah. that come out on the other side of that. I think there's been a couple of them. And from what I remember reading, they raised a lot of money very quickly. So they like were streaming popular games and people were sponsoring it for, you know, for the nonprofit. So there's so many eyeballs on that stuff. It's, I think it's really great for him to wear, well, uh, raise great, money with games. Well, I, you know, just as another aside, um, that is such a great model. And maybe this is part of their testing phase to open it up to others. Because anytime you have eyeballs and you can get people to buy into the concept of supporting something that they care about, mm-hmm. it's just a win-win, right? Absolutely. So leveraging other communities in that same respect would be wicked smart. Absolutely. And so from we're going right from a really helpful thing that I think we all see the value into this kind of crazy thing that kind of Facebook skunk work has, has come up with. They are experimenting with a new meme making app called Whale. So, Grace, what is this all about? I am so excited to have you on to talk about this, Kim, because you with your visual content marketing background, I really want to get your take on this. So they quietly released a me-making app in the Canada App Store. So I guess this is iOS only. It's a way to overlay special effects of text over photos and quickly, you know, launch out these memes. And it's an attempt, according to uh, the information, which is the uh, new site that reported on this. It's their latest attempt to woo younger users. (laughs) <laughs> so it's currently available in Canada. I don't have access to it. I haven't seen it. But as someone who's been doing visual content marketing for quite some time and is the expert, what do you think of this new meme making tool? Is there a need for it? Well, uh, potentially. So uh, it, and it goes to a couple of different ways. I'm a big fan of tools, great tools and tools that make our life easier to create content uh, in the context of the platform that we're leveraging it on. So it could potentially be a good thing. We also know that memes are engaging. They're usually very uh, engaging. The drawback to it is it could be used in some not so awesome ways as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but is that, tr- is that not true of anything? I mean, technically you could go to another meme maker and create a negative, whether you call it negative Nelly kind of piece of content or not. So I can't say that the tool itself, because I haven't seen it yet, because to your point, it's only available in Canada. I did try. I went to try uh, to see if I could find it in the app store and and really couldn't. And incidentally, when I was uh, researching it, um, everybody has the same photo of the tool. Like there's no like pieces of content that's been created with it, really. Like, you know, so it's it's hard to judge yet what it's going to look like. But I will say I I do love tools that are easy for us to leverage and create content. Um, so I'll be anxious to see what it is and and in in the context of how they use it. Like, is it going to be um, is it going to be a standalone app or is it going to be built into the platform? Mm-hmm. The thing that's interesting is, is one, it's to me, it's a blatant play trying to get the young viewers that are deserting Facebook or whoever not even on it uh, on the platform. But it also seems to run counter to like everything Facebook is trying to do right now, which is like stop fake news, you know, control content, have people have less time on their, you know, be healthy with their social. And this seems to me that so many memes are political for one thing and memes are funny, but they're not always, you know, really nice sometimes. How is Facebook, when they're trying to have this stellar, you know, 
this kind of PR, you know, looking a lot better. How are they going to be able to police this? This is just kind of, it just seems so strange to me. So the the other bigger picture is they don't get their demographic. If they're trying to get, if they're trying to attract the younger audience, the younger audience is not out there creating memes. They're engaging with memes. They're sharing memes, but they're not out there creating them. Mm. So in my opinion, anyway, I think, I mean, there's some, obviously there's some don't, uh, that's not an exclusive statement, but a lot of, and I just watch how my kids, for example, uh, use Instagram or any of these uh, tools uh, or platforms they share and mostly between themselves. Like, you know, I see a lot of, you know, sharing this thing or that they laugh at this and, you know, you look across the room and they're giggling and, you know, you know, they're, they've seen some funny meme on Instagram or somewhere, but I have yet to see my kids create one. That's a great point. But to police it, I think it goes back to everything else. They, you know, how are, how are they policing what they've got going on now? Is that piece of content any different? Uh, you know, they've already talked about how they're leveraging the power of AI to read images and video. Right. So I think we're, we're going to continue to go down that road and they'll continue to, to sense. Well, I, I use the word censor a lot loosely because I know there's some cases where content should be removed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if it's hate related or anything of that nature. But there's this flip side to it. And I said it earlier which is it's a slippery slope. Who decides, you know, if, right. do I get to see that piece of content or not? It, would it be offensive to me? Potentially. Would it be offensive to somebody else? Probably not, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where uh, I, I would suggest they'll probably use a lot of the same tools, you know, to to police content that's created with this tool. Right. So this is Whale, W-H-A-L-E, and it's called Whale Meme Creator. And uh, you can find it in the Canadian App Store. And it is um, distributed by the NPE team, which is uh, Facebook's internal team that creates experimental stuff. So new product product experimentation team. So it doesn't say it's from Facebook, but it is from Facebook. And you can find it in Canada. I dropped the link in our chat here, but uh, and we'll also have it in our article. Those that are in Canada, we would love to hear from you. What do you think? (laughs) Right. And the funny thing is all those things that that new project experimentation group is doing is mostly focused on the young people demographic. So it's really interesting to me seeing what they're trying to come out with, you know, inside of that new group. So kind of the opposite of this is our last piece of news. It's almost like a a warning shot or something like that. So the Wikipedia co-founder launches a new social network, WT Social. So Grace, is this going to be LO or is it something that actually may have some legs? I don't know. We had a long conversation about this, Jeff, you and I, and it's uh, WT Social, which I think is a funny name, but it stands for Wiki Tribune. It's going to be a news focused social network. It is run is going to be run as a nonprofit. Maybe they'll have a donate button on their Instagram. It'll it's all completely donation funded. And uh, we'll drop a link in the discussion too. our founder, Mike Selzner, actually paid to get in. I am currently on the wait list. I am number 283,143 or whatever, because I have not paid to get in, but <laughs> I'll walk you guys through that site up. So as of November 19th, the site has quadrupled its membership. It was 50,000 users last week and jumped up to uh, 20,000 users. Now, of course, this is not a threat to Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, 
and WhatsApp, which close to have, has close to 3 billion active users as we speak right now combined. So not a threat, catching up. You know, <laughs> so Slowly, and again, yeah. this was um, this was built as a reaction to what the founders find distasteful about Facebook and Instagram. And I will leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the question goes around, like, would you still be on Facebook or any social network if you had to pay for it? And everybody's always said, no, I'm not going to pay for it. But now because of the sediment towards Facebook, these guys came out with this. So, Kim, do you think this Wiki Tribune social WT social it's going to be this platform you have to pay for support. Do you think it's any threat to any of these other social networks, in your opinion? I have long said that I think that there is no threat that I can foresee in the near future anyway to Facebook. Facebook is the elephant in the room, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And part of it is just because of human nature. People don't like change. You know, they're comfortable on Facebook. They see that most people started on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. So I think the psychology of it plays into it some. I think some people would pay for a place to where they, you know, get access to content that they might not see other places or whatever. The problem that I see, again, it goes back to, you know, deciding who sees what. Like that is my my concern a lot across the board for this is, you know, they, they founded this social network that they can say, well, as a judgment call, that piece of content is fake or that piece of content um, has hate right. speech in it or whatever. And they make the decision on what I see or you see. And I think that's a potential problem. Does that mean that other people won't pay for that experience? It goes back to if you want to be in, in fed the same thing all the time, you know, and that's your intention uh, and you're comfortable in that zone, perhaps so. So it's, it's like I say, it's just a, it's going to be an interesting thing. I'm, I have been keeping my eye on it because I am interested to see more like a, even a social experiment, like, you know, right. how going to end up working out. I think there's so much div divisiveness here in the U.S. anyway right now that I think that's what is driving this. You know, people are gravitating towards that because they feel very strongly that, you know, one way or the other. And I'm looking at, I'm trying to stay like centered in the middle. And right. how does this uh, matter for all of us? we got some, some people in the comments were saying that they would pay not to see ads. So, yeah. you know, and there is a lot of models like that. You think of Hulu and yeah. some of the other, you know, like even YouTube, you can pay a monthly fee so you don't see those annoying ads. So there's extensions too, where you can yeah. block the ads. So by the way, I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but you can probably just Google it and Google, you know, Facebook extension to block ads. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And you probably could come up with something. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm going to be really interested to see where this goes. Right. Does no ads mean no marketers? Well, right. Um, and we'll no, figure out a way to get in it and mess it up. We will. <laughs> oh, but maybe not. You know, and so I'm just wondering what the draw would be here for for a business, right? If there and if there is one, like um, I think I. You know, with no opportunity, well, there's a couple of values. I mean, off the top of my head, I was thinking if if I was sharing content there and people were consuming it, that would be a value add, right? You know, if I like have a, a blog post or, you know, anything, it's just like any other traffic source from that perspective. But it would go back to how could you make sure that the right eyeballs were getting, you know, be like uh, it'd be like saying, here's my content. And whoever was attracted to it would be uh, who was attracted to it versus being very leveraged in 
that intent with like ads, for example. There's the flip side to that, which is that they say marketers run all good things, you know. <laughs> Mostly Jeff. Most of Jeff says that. (laughs) Jeff says that to me every day. You ruined everything. We just can't have nice things, right? Yes. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, obviously when something new comes along, just because we're marketers, we always look at it through that lens. Like, how can I use this? Like, is this a new way of, you know, getting uh, more, more clients, more customers, more buyers, whatever. But I, I don't know. It's, I think it's more of a rebellion. A social experiment or something like that. It reminded me a little bit when I looked kind of at it and I didn't pay for it either as kind of Google plus where you could kind of pick what kind of, you know, remember we had the circles. I know I'm, I'm showing my age with Google plus, but I've met a lot of my friends there, but you know, you could pick the circles you went, were in, you could kind of share to those certain circles. And it was like a group of communities that you could dive into. It has that a little bit of that feel to it. So in that aspects, it might, you know, like there'd be like, a photographer's group and they would be talking about us. There's another group inside of that just talk about a certain camera and sharing tips and stuff. So that so I can kind of say. Than Facebook groups. I just think there it's not as the way they're presenting it. It's not going to be as chunky clunky and you won't have ads inside of it, which mm-hmm. you know, is coming to. Yeah. yeah so. Jeff, Jeff and I poured one out last night, yesterday for, for Google, for Google plus. plus. We had a long yeah. talk about Google yes. plus. And, I missed and my buddies at Google Shot themselves in the foot, right? Yes, they did. Then we won't go there. We won't right. even go there. Right. So I still like Gmail though. So don't cancel me, Google. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much for being here and sharing all this great information. There's so much and you covered it all so well. Thank you so much for your time on doing this. Where can people find out about you and your services? My website is kimgarst.com forward slash blog. If you're looking for great like content to help you market your business. You can find me on all socials under my name, Kim Garst. So um, my fan page is Kim Garst uh, Biz. Just add a little biz to it. Well, thanks, Kim, for joining us. And we will see you uh, later. Thanks for stopping by the show. Thank you for having me. And love all the faces here. Yes, thank you. Bye. Thank you. The Social Media Marketing Talk Show is a Social Media Examiner production. For more social media insight, visit socialmediaexaminer.com. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.